That's Outdoor Explorer. I'm your host, Lisa Keller. Today's show is about exploring your own backyard, and who better to tell us about what's out there than my guest, Jeff Lowenfels. Jeff has written a weekly gardening column for the Anchorage Daily News since 1976, the longest running gardening column in the United States. Along the way, he has documented our changing climate and has been on the forefront of advocating for an organic and sustainable yard and garden. He is the author of a series of books on organic gardening, with a new book coming out in the spring of 2022. Join Jeff and me as we explore the changing scene of gardening in the 49th state. Keep listening for more on Outdoor Explorer. This is Outdoor Explorer. I'm your host, Lisa Keller. My guest today is Jeff Lohenfels, who has been writing a gardening column for the Anchorage Daily News since 1976, the longest running gardening column in the United States. Uh, he has a lot of credits to his name, and I think my audience are, I think our audience is very familiar with him. He's a leader in the organic gardening sustainability movement. Uh, he's working on uh, publishing some new works today that I'm really excited to talk about. We have some news on, some breaking news on fertilizer, and I feel really fortunate that he has agreed to chat with me on Outdoor Explorer. He's joining me from Portland. Thanks for joining me today, Jeff. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. My pleasure indeed. I think we're going to have a lot of fun today. So um, I think this is a little bit of a departure for our show. Uh, and I checked to make sure that you've never been on Outdoor Explorer, which you're nowhere in the spreadsheet. So right. I, but I know that at one time you had an Alaska public media TV show and a radio show and. Yep. Yep. I did both. Both. Yeah. And, and were, was, the was the radio show on Alaska Public Media nope, as well? No, that was commercial. That was commercial. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think I sort of remember that. I was a kid when you started your gardening. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sorry. You're not that much you older than me, really. You probably born when I started my gardening stuff. Oh, I had been born. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. And, uh, but as an adult, I, I mean, I've followed you for as long as I can remember. So I'm, I'm really kind of fangirling a little bit here to talk to you. Um, and so I have a lot of, uh, questions that a lot of people have, but also some personal questions about gardening that I want to ask sure. you. Sure. And, um, so I'm also really excited because we also just usually highlight these epic Alaska adventures and, um, and people who adventure. Um, but we spend very little time on exploring our own yards right. and especially in the past two years, although really I've spent more time gardening as I've gotten older. I've really found that this is a place I really spend time is in my own yard and I, in growing plants, rearranging plants, uh, uh, following your, a lot of your advice. And it's always a work in progress and it's always exciting and it changes constantly. And I've spent a lot of time adventuring in the mountains. And I think being in my own backyard has really been on par with adventuring in the mountains so oh absolutely no question the, the, and particularly this time of year actually uh my column coming up is on mushrooms i mean my goodness gracious if you go outside in your yard and you don't have mushrooms there's something wrong with your yard so this is this is something you would let's assume you're you were in the pandemic situation and you don't want to go out and, you know hike the trails with thousands of other people you have the same mushrooms in your yard as you're going to find up there in the Chugach. And so it's, it's just, it's a great time of year. There's all sorts of stuff to see and to identify that, that you don't normally associate with gardening because it's not necessarily growing a plant, but it's still part of what I call yardening, uh, a, a phrase that was 
uh, invented by, a, by a, a garden writer friend of mine named Jeff Ball. And, and that's what we do in Alaska. We yarden. We, we spend time in our yard. We don't fish. We don't duck hunt, most of us. Uh, but we, we yarden. You know, and it's, it's the number one hobby in Alaska without question. Yeah, I think that's really unusual when you talk to people like in Los Angeles, like my two college buddies are in Los Angeles and they're like, oh, do you work in your own yard? And I'm like, yeah, of course, everybody in Alaska sure. does. <laughs> right, absolutely. Uh, we couldn't have, we can't afford to hire people, but, but we wouldn't do it anyway, I don't believe. I mean, you know, there are lawn services, et cetera, et cetera, but, but most people are just, they do it themselves. You, you know, you, probably every single person in Anchorage goes to a particular nursery uh, in the springtime. And, you know, it's just, it's unbelievable how much gardening goes on and, and people don't believe it. When they come up here, they wander around. When they leave, they don't talk about the moose. They don't talk about the bears. They talk about the flowers. Boy, that's really something. Who would have thought? Who would have I thought? know. It's crazy. Yeah. And, it, and it's changing constantly now with climate change too, which oh we'll talk God. about a lot today, I'm sure. 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 Uh, so first, tell, tell a little bit about your early life growing up, because, I mean, you've been in gardening, yardening forever, like your, yeah. your family was <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah, into yeah. it. My, yeah, my grandfather was a frustrated farmer, and my father was a frustrated farmer, but they both had to take over the family business, which was making butter, and it was based in New York City, or selling butter, they didn't make the butter. And so, so... They both lived, my, in fact, my whole family, other than, other than me, uh, lived within a 25-mile radius of White Plains, New York. And uh, my father grew up on a 12-acre farm, which my grandfather maintained with cows and horses and ducks and geese and all that stuff. Uh, he had his own greenhouse. His, his wife had her greenhouse. They were never allowed in each other's greenhouse. That probably made uh, yeah. for a good marriage, right? <laughs> yeah, it probably did. It probably did. Uh, although I think the 12 St. Bernards that they had probably was not a good thing. Wow. <laughs> but my grandfather was a tomato man and he, he would grow tomatoes and every spring put a sign up in his, at the end of his driveway and he would then sell 10 or 15,000 tomato seedlings. Uh, and so uh, we grew a lot of tomatoes. Oh my gosh, we were big tomato and still are. We, you know, tomatoes are are still sort of the holy grail uh, of gardening. But uh, yeah, we, we, we had a lot of, so we were always enmeshed in gardening. My father, uh, when he left that, that farm, uh, found a nice big piece of property in, in about 10 minutes away and, uh, and we farmed that. It was a gentleman's farm and we had a horse and we had ducks and geese and chickens. And uh, we had, uh, I always like to say 80 rhubarb plants and a grape arbor and fig trees and, you know, two acre gardens and a Versailles flower garden and 80 apple trees and peaches and cherry trees and all that kind of stuff. And my friends, you know, they, they would come over and they would think, what the heck? Because they did not have that kind of stuff. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, our job was to farm the place. And, and we all had chores. And uh, you did your chores and, and none of my other friends did any of that kind of stuff, you know, uh, and, and we ate the stuff. That was the other thing. Oh, my God. So we just the other day, my wife and I were, were uh, uh, having some, some stuff and they ran out of the buns. Uh, it was a crazy thing. And so they said, we're going to put it on a bed of arugula. Arugula, I say, a New York accent. Uh, <laughs> my mother loved arugula. We had arugula in the middle of the winter. 
uh, and I hate this stuff. <laughs> so, so you know, I mean, it was just, we, we lived and breathed gardening, period. It's just what we did. And so when I came up to Alaska, um, I ended up very early on, it was during the pipeline days, there was no place to live. Uh, and I ended up uh, pro- probably the same time your father came up, you know, mm-hmm. and I, and I ended up, uh, I'd say a lot of women incidentally. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, I, came, he yeah. my parents came up in 1963. So they, I think they oh, okay. beat you well, here. They're, they're way ahead of me. <laughs> probably a much better gardeners than, than I am. But, 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 uh, you know, we, we, we ended up, uh, try, living in the Oscar Anderson house in downtown Anchorage. How did you uh, swing that? <laughs> well, the law firm I worked for at the time uh, represented uh, Mrs. Anderson. And she came in one day and, and she, I was living in my friend's basement. Uh, you know, there were dogs running around. I mean, and and uh, uh, she said, God, I'd love somebody to live in the Oscar house. So, you know, got to get rid of the tenants that are down there. They have cats. And so my wife and I moved in and boy, they did have cats. It stank like crazy. And, you know, you go in there now, you don't understand. But uh and it was a lot of fun. And, and uh, so I did my first gardening in the Oscar Anderson backyard. There's wow. a big condominium complex there now, but uh, I planted snapdragons and all sorts of stuff. And it was 1975 and they had just legalized cannabis in the privacy of your home. And I planted, I don't know where I got the seed, probably in some garbage that I had somehow come upon. Uh, and I planted a cannabis plant. And I remember my father coming and wandering around the property with me, and uh, he saw the cannabis plant. I know he knows what it was. Yeah. He didn't say a word. He just sort of walked by, walked on. So that's where I did all That's where I started my gardening, down there <laughs> in the Oscar Anderson house. And, uh, it was so much fun. Uh, and and uh, Bingo ended up right in the column. You know, it was a great thing. I do have to tell you my memory of when, um, you know, that Supreme Court decision was made and cannabis was legalized in Alaska yeah. that my mom, and who I call my other mother, Sandra Johnson. So my mom, Pat Keller and Sandra Johnson, they were best friends. We lived next door to each other and they were both big gardeners. And so Sandra's husband was Gil Johnson, who was the Teamsters sure. lawyer. Sure. And then yeah. my dad, Millet Keller, was um, a big politico here, yeah. a Republican yeah. guy. And, yeah. and um, they were both pretty straight arrows. <laughs> Uh, the husbands, not the wives. And so my mom and Sandra, uh, both, I don't know where they found the seeds either, but they grew some cannabis. And then, then everybody was all worried that some, you know, it was the big family joke that something was going to happen. These like conservative business guys are going to, their wives are, you know, going to get in trouble, but they wouldn't because it was legalized. It was just a funny thing, you know? Yeah. It was a strange time. It was. was A lot of people cut their gardening teeth on that. Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, the seeds must've been everywhere (laughs) Uh, because I know a lot of people started asking me gardening questions directed towards cannabis. And I used to tell people treat it like a tomato. If I'm talking about a tomato plant, my columns, you can apply that same advice to your cannabis plants. And so, and people did, I mean, it was, uh, you know, uh, and now I, you know, I think I'm, I, I, I think I'm the first gardening columnist in America to write a column about growing cannabis, giving advice on how to grow cannabis. Uh, boy, times have changed. Yeah. Uh, when, really when, did, when did you have your first column on can, cannabis? Was it in the 70s or did you wait a little no, while? Oh, I, no, not in the 70s. I was very careful because I, I didn't want to get the paper in trouble. But right. um, as soon as it was legalized, you know, and you could grow, you know, you could mm-hmm. grow it outside, right? You know, I mean, right. I, it, was, it was a column. Simple My uncle down in Glen Ellen in Sonoma, he, he grows and um, 
he grew, I mean, I can't even believe it, it was like a tree. It was like mm -hmm. a cannabis tree. I could not, I've never seen anything like it before yeah. with a, a thick trunk and yeah, it was yeah, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so people are listening they, here. We should not be growing that kind of cannabis. Sativas and indicas should be grown indoors with lights and you can control the time. What everybody in Alaska should be growing is, is an auto flower plant, auto flowering. It's the third kind of cannabis that most people have never heard of. Uh, and it blooms without a photo period. So it doesn't matter whether you plant it when the light's getting long, days are getting longer or days are getting shorter. Uh, in 65 or 75 days, the thing will flower and produce cannabis mm. that you can consume or do whatever you want to do with. So that's what Alaskans ought to be growing. And, and I really ought to be writing more columns about that. But I have a book on it called DIY Auto Flowering Cannabis. None of my readers know this, of course, because it's not in the bottom. Uh, and uh, it's, it's actually now been translated into Spanish as well. Wow. Um, and uh, basically what I say in the book is this is the next tomato plant. As soon as the stigma goes away, as soon as Congress says, listen, you know, yeah. grow, grow and have fun, this is the plant everybody will be growing because it's so much fun to grow. Uh -huh. It's consumable. It grows fast. They're beautiful. The colors that people have developed are phenomenal. Medicinal value is terrific for people with PSD or you know, mm -hmm. recreational value we already know about. Um, and, and it's an easy plant to grow. So it's coming. Uh, and, and people will be buying you know, little Christmas trees that are auto-flowering auto cannabis. And people will be you know, buying uh, uh, Easter, Easter plants and you know, that kind of stuff. It's coming. Mm -hmm. uh, we're definitely going to be there. But in the meantime, uh, you know, we're, we've got all our other standards, which we grow in Alaska better and more than anybody else uh, in the world. I mean, we are a gardening crazy nutty place. Des Moines, <laughs> Iowa may, you know, may have, have more gardeners because they got all the magazines there. and all that. Huh? But but we are we are really the crazy gardening capital of the world, I think. So uh, which is fun. It is. It's really fun. Yeah. I mean, I think it's yeah. one of the places that makes us really attractive. And I've heard you know, more and more. And you're, you're in Portland right now, which is a very trendy place yeah. to be and to live. Um, yeah. And young people are searching out these new places to go to as more places get crowded because Portland's crowded now right. and they're moving to Boise and maybe Bellingham is next. And then right, where's right. the next stop? I mean, I've heard um, a real estate friend of mine has made this observation. My brother's made this observation. And just Andrew Halcrow just made this observation on his podcast that, like Alaska is the next place to stop, sure. you know, because Continue, we have water, we're have the weather. because of the weather. Yeah. yeah. And, and that, kind of, that kind of brings me to that New York Times magazine yeah. article that was just published recently, which I'll put a link to. And sure. the, um, the title of it is he wrote a gardening column. He ended up documenting climate change. And I think that is kind of like, that is definitely your legacy, your, your world legacy really mm -hmm. right now. Don't you think? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, you know, really, what I, it was a very nice article. I was mm -hmm. quite, a, quite humbled. As I say to my friends, I was humbled, and I don't humble easy. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, was, it was really a nice article, but, you know, really, the whole thing could have been summed up, and Zach is a phenomenal writer. His book, incidentally, is about the movement of trees in this climate change situation. He's really, Zach St. Clair, he's quite an author and people should follow him because anything he writes is going to be spectacular. He also grew up uh, actually in Anchorage. Uh, but, but uh, you know, people, 
people don't understand that when they started taking agricultural records here, the federal government, uh, back in the late 1800s, we had a 65-day growing season in Talkeetna. Okay, admittedly, it's not Anchorage, but it's, you know, it's pretty close. 65, it's 120, 138 days now. I mean, my gosh. So, So it's there. It's there, and and I'm and I'm sort of flattered, but I'd rather that my legacy be uh, twofold, one uh, or threefold. I'm, let me put it that way, because uh, I'm old enough to talk this way. Uh, one is that he got every American gardener and every North American gardener, and then every gardener in the world to plant one row in their garden to feed the hungry. My God, we're going to end up time and time again. How many times do we need to see people in their cars going to get? food. Mm -hmm. And where does that food come from? Well, you and I, we've got cabbages and potatoes and, 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 and snap peas that we've just let sit in the garden because we're sick of it by now. You know, Mm -hmm. that stuff needs to be harvested and taken to a food bank or given to a neighbor or taken to a church or a synagogue. So that, that would be the first legacy I would hope, you know, because you don't have to spend any money to do that. There's no government involvement. Mm -hmm. We don't have to worry about whether it's Trump or Biden. It's you you know, and doing a responsible civic thing that you should be doing as an American gardener. It's a very communal uh, thing, I think, you know, absolutely. that you care about the people around you, you care about your community, sure. care about those that don't have the opportunity to grow. And you never know when you might need it yourself. So right. it's a good idea that what goes around comes around, uh, you know, you sort of play it forward. But but the, the, the other thing, I, of course, is that I want everybody to be organic. And all of my books are, are based towards that concept. If we're not organic, we are destroying the soil life. And if you s- destroy soil life, you destroy soil. And if you destroy soil, you destroy civilization. And that's what we're doing now. We're losing inches of soil every year. Uh, and so that's a serious, serious, serious problem. It's very serious in Alaska because we're the last place in the country where we don't have a lot of these chemicals like glyphosate in our water systems. But if we continue to use these chemicals, we will, mm-hmm. no question. So, so, and we don't have it in our rainfall and we don't have it necessarily in our bodies. Although I think every pregnant woman in the United States of America has glyphosate in their blood system, which is not necessarily a great thing. So, so being organic, I think would be another legacy I would love to have. Of course, that's not, that's not one that's easy to, to have. And then finally, We've got to be much more cognizant and careful about the invasive plants we're bringing into our great state. I think the figure is something like 60 to 80%. I think it's actually 80% of the trees in the lower 48 states are non-native trees. Mm, 80%. Well, you know, we know what happens when you bring a non-native tree to Alaska because we see it happen with the mountain ashes. They take off. Mm-hmm. They they destroy the riparian banks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're having a terrible, terrible debate right now about whether to use glyphosate or not on those trees. Uh, uh, you you, know, you mean the the Mayday trees, right? Mayday trees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Mount Nash is uh, Mount Nash is sort of okay, right? Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> Still, is also, yeah, yeah. There's one that's not and one that is, but the Mayday trees, of course. The, uh, oh, the Mayday trees spoke. are terrible. Awful, 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 and and. Uh, you know, it's a real problem. Incidentally, from my perspective, if you have one in your yard, you, you cut it down and then you continually mow over it and mm-hmm. it will go away. My finest decay mushrooms right now, I can see where every root was from one of the biggest Mayday trees 
in, that was in Anchorage. It was gigantic. Kids used to play on the street. Oh my gosh. And the roots went throughout the lawn and they're covered with five, six, seven different kinds of mushrooms. So much fun to watch. Wow. But I'm not getting any seedlings back anymore. I didn't use any glyphosate. You don't have to use it. Mow it over. Simple as that. What if you're uh, on you, like, so, uh, so I had two huge Mayday trees I took down yeah. like six or seven years ago, mainly yeah. because, well, I knew that they were becoming a problem with the environment, but also because they were just nasty. You had like yeah. bl- blossoms for maybe two weeks and then you had the yep. berries and, and yep. then they were the trees in my yard that got um, aphids sure. yep. and they were right on my deck. So they were just, yeah. and so, so uh, we, yeah, we're just, we're just bringing in a lot of invasives. I mean, mm-hmm. and we, you know, we, for a long time, and I'm as guilty as everybody, uh, you know, we wanted to push the envelope out. What can we grow here that hasn't been grown here before? Now, it's one thing in the New York Times article, they talked about my friend Eric, uh, you know, and Naku grew uh, okra for the first time, as far as I know, okra in Alaska, because there was always been a challenge who, you know, what state doesn't have okra grown in, and Alaska was the only one left, and my God, they did it. They grew it outside. So anyway, it's very, very impressive, but, but, but that's an annual mm-hmm. and that doesn't seed. It doesn't, you know, we're planting things. We're bringing in seed mixes and, you know, wildflower mixes and this is that. And so now uh, we walk around the highways and you take a walk in the afternoon and you see all the sweet clover that was brought up and all oh, alfalfa. I mean, all sorts of stuff. And where did this stuff come from? And you add that into the trees and then, some of the flowers. I mean, I, one of my favorite things for a long time was to get people to plant Ligualeria. Beautiful mm. plant, a gorgeous plant. Well, one day I was walking in the woods next to my property and I saw one there. Well, it didn't get there automatically. It, mm. You know, I mean, uh, uh, so, you know, we got we to be much more careful about it. We can bring some of these things into the botanical garden. That's where they ought to go. Mm-hmm. where we can watch them and pay attention to them and study them and love them and appreciate them, but not our yards. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't sit well with a lot of people who want to have a yard that looks like their house in New England, uh, you know, or, or uh, you know, the same Texas-type landscape. We're not in Texas. We are in Alaska, mm-hmm. and we need to continue to develop our own s- s- distinct style to protect what we have, because every place else has lost it. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, then you you know you add on the other layers to this stuff. Uh, you know, when you plant a tree that's not native, where are the bugs that are supposed to live in that tree? What eats the st- you know how it, it becomes a real real problem. So, we have- the the term riparian riparian. Yeah. am I getting that right? What, yeah. what riparian the, stream? What exactly does that mean? Well, what, that, the right the 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 riverbanks. Uh, are what are what are getting inundated, mm-hmm. and uh, what happens is the the uh, things that that would normally decay and feed the salmon and the water and all you know, they're not there, uh, and all you have are these trees that are taking up all the nutrients and and so you lose the fish, you lose the insects that are supposed to be there, you lose everything. Uh, we don't need that, you know. I, I don't know a gardener uh, that would want to be responsible for there not being salmon streams that's right that's and a I really important part of our culture yeah and i don't know a yardener that would want that to happen either actually mm-hmm. so uh, and i do make a distinction some people are just gardeners they don't they don't care about the yard at all um but it's all tied together it's all mm-hmm. you know we're all in one one big group and that's why we have to be careful what we use so th- th- those are sort of the things that i would 
I would love to have as a legacy and people think of that. And I guess the fourth thing would be, God. The climate you know, change. No, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Uh, those, uh, <laughs> that should be uh, number one. That, that yeah. should be number one. <laughs> well, they're a lot of fun writing them. And, I, and, I, and every, every time I hear from the newspaper, I think, gulp. <laughs> this, is, this is the last column. They don't want it anymore. You know, I mean, uh, no. They, they, oh, they, I don't think they could ever get rid of you. <laughs> oh, sure they could. Sure I they think could, you're here forever. Uh, but, but, but it's a very interesting, uh, great place to be. I mean, really, everybody in Alaska gardens. Gardeners are universally friendly and, and mm. loquacious. Uh, I mean, you know, she, I could imagine, you know, I can imagine being someone else who people don't you know, get along with and don't have a shared interest with it. It's, it's just made a hell of a difference. I pity my wife in many ways. Uh, you know, my God, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just fun everywhere I go. There's people who you can talk with. It's mm -hmm. so, uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, I, I, I make fun of my wife. She's my biggest supporter. And, and actually I have very bad arthritis and she does most of the work these days. And so she's, Aww. she's the real gardener. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, a lot of the things I start are dedicated to her because, uh, why not? That's what, uh -huh. that's what your partner's for, right? That, I mean, that's, that's right. So, You're lucky. Yeah. yeah definitely, so, so definitely. let's talk about lawns because, yeah. um, you know, I mean, that is a big lower 48 thing is to have a beautiful lawn. And right. I know you've written about this quite a bit. Um, right. like maybe like years ago, you said, give up on dandelions. We've lost right. the on dandelions with in which my neighbor and I, my neighbor, Rachel Mason, uh, she was like pulling the dandelions. And once we read your column, it was like, okay, we're done, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's done. It's done. and, and just let it be. And, um, but then recently you wrote about lawns and maybe replacing the grass of lawns with sure. other things, specifically right, clovers. Right. You talked right. about clovers. So talk about that right. a little bit. Well, you know, we're all pretty good at replacing. Replacing the grass with other things because we're replacing it with dandelions right now. Right, uh, that's my yard. <laughs> yeah, Clo clover was taken out of lawn seed mixes when they when they invented these broadleaf weed killers to kill dandelions, and so it also killed the clover. And so they stopped putting it in mixes. But but up until the '40s, every lawn had lots of clover in it. The clover fed the lawn with nitrogen because they're nitrogen fixing plants. Uh, and there's some beautiful annual clovers that you can plant. Red clover. Oh my. God, it is. <laughs> that intrigued Google. Yeah, that intrigued me yeah. when I read that. I think it was just yeah. like a week or two ago. I'm like, I, that's Google. what I need to do. Okay, Google. yeah. <laughs> Google red, red clover lawn. Oh my goodness gracious. But it's an annual lawn. It may not be that easy to plant. Uh, in, my, in our backyard, uh, I've started to just mow paths. And I'm going to just let the grass turn back into other stuff. I've, I've, I've picked up some tall grasses along the edges of the property and tried to plant them and get them to grow and spread. And they, and they will. Mm -hmm. um, I've got a patch of dandelions that I've been working with. Uh, years ago, I read a story about dandelions in Canada. They had invented a, a virus kind of deal that killed dandelions. Wow. Wow, yeah. And, and, and so I'm trying to grow that virus. The problem with the one that they grew in Canada, the reason why nobody's ever heard about it, uh, is it also killed lettuce. Oh, oh. <laughs> so you couldn't do both. Uh, so I've got a I've got a big patch of dandelions that I haven't touched in in a year or two or three, and they're all bright red right now, dying. It's unbelievable. They've wow. got a virus, and I'm trying to figure out. You know, this is what I do when I yard. I'm trying to figure out how do I get that to spread to the other dandelions <laughs> in the front lawn. You know, so I'm working on that kind of stuff. But but 
yeah, I think people need to start thinking about reducing the size of their lawn. Yeah, it's not a bad thing if you have lots of mosquitoes. We don't anymore. Uh, this has know, been so an we, amazing change since I was a kid is the number of mosquitoes yeah. in town. There's and, like nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and when your parents first got up here, they sprayed the town with DDT. Yes. Uh, when so, I actually, I had breast cancer 19 years ago and my mom my feels yeah. really bad about it. She feels like, because when I was 12, sure. they sprayed the neighborhood. The plane went overhead and sprayed the neighborhood. Yeah, and it smelled good. Everybody would run out and, you know, try to smell yeah. it. Oh, it's crazy. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So, so uh, yeah, we need to reduce the size of the lawn. We need to get different things to plant in the lawn. We need to, we need to have a different appreciation. Now, I understand that lawns have a lot of importance to, to keeping people safe. They provide a safe zone. You know, I mean, in, Maybe we don't want to get rid of them all. Maybe we need to plant them with something that's a lot more Alaskan. Uh, I'm trying to get my, I'm not, and nobody needs to try because it happens naturally, get my lawn to turn to moss. And when I wrote the last article, and, I, and incidentally, I think, I think we need to try to make this an Alaskan program that, that is adopted in the lower 48 states, daylight mowing time. The article I wrote two weeks ago about the idea that if we just all skipped one mowing, what we would do to the climate situation is phenomenal. If the entire country did that, if we, if we just went on a daylight mowing time once, maybe twice a year, uh, and had everybody in the country skip for 10 days mowing their lawn, the amount of gasoline alone that spilled, we would say it would be unbelievable. The, 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 the numbers are staggering. Those gas engines we use are terrible. And the municipality of Anchorage and Fairbanks and Juneau need to say no more. No more electric, battery, no more gas power. What are we waiting for? What are our representatives waiting for? I'll tell you what they're waiting for. They're liver lilies, loose need uh, people who think they, they have to be, you know, uh, environmentally wrong to get elected. And they don't understand mm -hmm. the electorate. So I always tell people in Anchorage when they're running for office and they want to get a little contribution, you know, where are you on some of these things? Where are you on letting cats out? We've lost all our birds in Anchorage. Where are you on glyphosate? Why isn't it banned? Uh, you know, walk the neighborhood as you're going to get your votes and see how many people cut their lawn on the diagonal. We are a garden party and we own the state and we should exert our pressure. That's, that's just my thought. I uh, like that. I like that a yeah. lot. <laughs> you are listening to Outdoor Explorer on Alaska Public Media. I'm your host, Lisa Keller. We are going to take a short break, and when we return, the conversation with Jeff Lowenfels will continue. You're listening to Outdoor Explorer on Alaska Public Media. Find the show anytime as a free podcast in the iTunes store or connect with us online at alaskapublic.org. listening to Outdoor Explorer on Alaska Public Media. I'm your host, Lisa Keller. My conversation with gardening expert and author Jeff Lowenfels continues. Yeah. So, the, you know, the other thing, of course, is that people, nah, not so true anymore, but people used to use so much chemical fertilizer. And we used to use, you know, an 832.16, which was the recommended stuff back in the day, not by me, but, uh, well, actually at the beginning it was until I saw the light, but but 832.16, there is so much phosphorus in our soils uh, 
that I that I that I question whether you can even get mycorrhizal fungi to grow because they don't need to go out and get phosphorus. It's there. It'll be there for a hundred years. It was it was a disaster. Uh, people have no concept. You can't even find a. You're, it's against the law to sell phosphorus in a lawn food anymore. Wow. So when you buy a fertilizer, it's not eight thirty two. You know, or twelve four four or twenty two two two. The middle number is zero. We were putting 32 on the highest number you could possibly. I mean, so yeah, uh, you know, a lot of this stuff and, and uh, you know, that stuff is really going down the drain, both literally and figuratively. Mm -hmm. People are not using nearly as much chemicals as they used to use. And particularly in Alaska, and thank goodness, because uh, this stuff really does cause serious, serious harm. And the food you get is not as dense, it's not as nutrient. Uh, you know, it's a, and it's a lot more work, a lot more work. Incidentally, now, right now in the fall is when people should be putting down organics so that they can decay during the winter months and be available to your plants in the springtime. So soybean meal, feather meal, uh, granulated, unsulfured granulated molasses, uh, all of these, all of the back guano, uh, all of these things should be, you know, put on the surface of your soil maybe mixed in a, just an inch or so. Don't roto-till it in. It works its way down. The microbes will be right there on the surface working it way, its way down. Now's the time to do that. It's also the time, incidentally, to be buying garlic because you want to plant garlic right during the week of the first frost. It's the time to plant it. So, so, you, so you plant it so you get the crop next year, right? You, yes, right. Okay. And the, roots will, the roots will grow if you plant it, but the green tops won't if you plant it right after the first frost. I mean, literally that day or the day after. So that, that week there is really the time to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Very simple to do. So I remember a couple of years ago, the big thing was, uh, was it called compost tea? Right. And yeah. is that still a thing too? I remember sure. you were a proponent of that. I'm a big proponent of compost tea. You know, there are a lot of people who just, who think it's worthless and useless. Uh, uh, I can only tell you the experiences of myself, uh, the author, of, uh, a co-author of Teaming with Microbes, Wayne Lewis, a lot of, lot of people we know. Uh, and I should say every single botanical garden in the country uses, uh, uses compost tea. It's phenomenal stuff. Uh, after a while, you don't need to use it, but what, what it ha contains in it is the microbes that are in the compost. Now, you know, when I wrote the book, it was in the context of the soil food web. This is a book called Teeming with Microbes, uh, which came out in 2006 and, and basically codified and introduced the concept of using compost tea as one of the ways of increasing the microbes in your soil and using what's known as the soil food web to get things to grow. The soil food web is simply the plant puts out extra dates, you're sweating, that's your extra date, the plant does the same thing. It makes it with photosynthetic energy. About 60% of it is used to make these exudates. They go into the soil and they attract bacteria and fungi. The bacteria and fungi eat the exudates for carbon. They in turn attract nematodes and protozoa that eat bacteria and fungi. Well, they eat the bacteria and fungi, but they don't need all the stuff that are in the bacteria and fungi. And so they, in a sense, poop out the excess. And that excess is plant usable form. Now in 2006, that was what the soil food web was. In 2010, a woman in Australia made an interesting discovery where she found 
bacteria inside roots. Hmm. And they got in the root very in a very specialized way, and she called this rhizophagy, rhizophagy, uh, root eating. And and uh, she wrote some papers on it, and it was the papers were picked up by various research scholars and uh, a, a gentleman in uh, named James White in Rutgers, New Jersey, at Rutgers, uh, really picked up on this stuff. And uh, so much so that in conversations with him, it became very clear to me that the concept of the soil food web needs to be changed. We needed to add the fungi in. And so I wrote a, a second book called Teeming with Fungi, because there are these things called mycorrhizal fungi that go into the soil, uh, take the nutrients and bring them into the plant root in return for these extra dates, which is a very interesting concept. Uh, in 2006, very little was known about it. Uh, I wrote a paragraph. Uh, and finally, in, in 2011 or so, I had to write an entire new book <laughs> because so much had just come, 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 come clear. So I've got a new book coming out uh, called Teeming with Bacteria. And here's the system that, 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 that this guy, James White, and researchers in China and South America have discovered. It's fascinating. I think it's fascinating. And I'm trying to figure out what the elevator pitch really needs to be so they don't lose people on this thing. And essentially, you know, what, what I tell people is the idea that the plant puts out these exudates into the soil is sort of like the plant being a farmer. It puts the stuff out into the soil and these things grow in the stuff it puts out there and then it harvests that stuff you know the nematodes and the protozoa help uh they're the tractors in a sense and it goes into the soil and it diffuses into the root okay or the water takes it into the root well what james discovered was that th that these bacteria that are in the soil and attracted by these exudates some of them bump up against the root of a forming root. They bump up against the cell wall of the root, right, brand new cells, meristem they're called. And when they bump up against it, uh, the root literally allows the bacteria to go inside the root, just inside the cell wall of the root. Now, inside the cell wall of the root, there's a little space there called a periplasmic space. And then there is a membrane which acts as the gatekeeper to how nutrients get in the plant and how things that are in the plant that are poisonous are expelled out of the plant. They have to go through this little membrane. So this periplasmic space is in there and these bacteria end up in the periplasmic space. But when they go into the periplasmic space, the plant, thinking that it needs to defend itself a little bit, sprays the bacteria with a super oxygen substance that strips off the walls of the bacteria, but the bacteria stay alive. They're then called protoplasts. The stuff that's stripped off is absorbed by the root and feeds the plant. Hmm. Now, okay, that's pretty interesting. It's yeah. very different. It's an addition to the soil food web, but it gets better. The periplasmic space has cytoplasm in it, this, the gooey stuff that holds all the organs. And it cycles. 
And so it cycles these stripped off bacteria, the walled off, you know, wallless bacteria. And as they cycle, they are broken up and they multiply. And so you get more of them. And while that's happening, they are releasing ethylene into the soil, into the, into the root. And they're releasing nitrite into the root, nitrogen which is then converted into nitrate and eaten by the plant because it's inside the periplasmic space, goes into the, into the cell itself and ends up feeding the plant nitrogen. So the plant is getting uh, some of the minor nutrients and nitrogen directly inside it produced by these bacteria. Wow. Now that would be fine and enough, but it continues. The bacteria, as they cycle around, end up accumulating in these little bumps that are in that periplasmic space. And they're in this, and as they accumulate, the ethylene that they produce accumulates as well. And it causes the wall to grow what we call a root hair. Those root hairs that you all know about are all formed by bacteria ethylene. And if you don't have bacteria, they don't form. Wow. Then even more happens. There's a little tidal wave in that cytoplasm that forces the accumulated bacteria into the root hair, up to the tip of the root hair, where they are expelled into the soil. There, they grow their cell walls back. Now, they've been multiplied and they go back into a new root cell and repeat the process, which takes two days. Wow. Unbelievable. So the plant is not just a farmer, it's a, it's a sheep herder. It's herding these bacteria, it's shearing off their wool, it's eating a few of them, pork chops, and then it's putting the rest of the herd out into the pasture again so that it can grow more wool and grow more bacteria so that it can go back in again to feed the farmer. Unbelievable. That is just crazy. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, now it gets even better uh, uh, without giving the whole book away. Uh, there are some very specialized bacteria that end up traveling throughout the plant and they do some amazing things because the plant is recognizes that they're there, becomes more resistant to certain things. So if the right ones are in there, the plant can take cold better. It changes the freezing point of water. Wow. It can, it can fight off certain diseases. There are some that even jump out of the plant and attack uh, pathogenic fungi that would be attacking the plant once those are gone gets back in the plant again so these bacteria turn out to be just as important as the mycorrhizal fungi there's sort of a symmetry there uh, between these two things that are attracted by the plant exudate and it's really quite a big thing i mean this what this what this means is that if we're able to harness these bacteria like we have been able to begin to harness these fungi you can now buy mycorrhizal fungi and there are specific mycorrhizal fungi for specific kinds of plants that will help them immensely in terms of growth and health and, and whatnot. We can, we can take the same thing with bacteria 
uh, and we can grow the right bacteria that will do the right thing for the plant. So we can develop nitrogen fixing bacteria even though we don't have a clover type legume. We can develop a plant uh, you know, that will, that will uh, bloom earlier. Uh, there are all sorts of things that can be done with these. And in fact, it turns out when you do a little bit of research, which I had to do for the book, um, you know, that these things are available to farmers. They're just not available to me and you with one exception. And that's rhizobia bacteria. When you plant uh, legumes, peas, snap peas, uh, you're supposed to roll them in this stuff. It's called rhizobium. Mm -hmm. And it's the bacteria that forms these nodules that fix nitrogen on the roots or in the roots and feeds these plants. Some of it's in the soil, it goes into the soil. That is, is gonna be multiplied thousand time fold with different kinds of bacteria that we're gonna be able to buy and use in our gardens to be able to protect our plants, to, to grow them in ways that we never thought was possible. Uh, it's just unreal. Biofertilizers, bio uh, you know, biopesticides, bioherbicides. There is even, uh, 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 James uh, White told me, and I think he may even have a patent on it, um, a bacteria that jumps out of your grass plant and kills the dandelion. Oh, and there's oh, a lot of people who would love to see that. <laughs> yeah. So this is, again, folks, this is called rhizophagy, uh, and it is really something. Wow. Uh, it's, and, 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 and the take home for gardeners, a couple of them. Uh, when you plant your seeds, don't sterilize them. This is in particular for cannabis growers. Cannabis growers love to sterilize their seeds because they're worried about the wilt that might take the, you know, take the seedling out. Same thing with a lot of people who grow vegetables, although less and less now. Uh, so, so you don't want to sterilize your seeds you, because those seeds carry the bacteria mm -hmm. that the plant needs to feed itself. And you go back 400 years and take a look at corn varieties that were 400 years old. They contain the same bacteria in them that they did 400 years ago. Mm, wow. Yeah, so this is really something. Really, really so, different. And it means you've got to be careful what you put on your plants so that you don't harm those bacteria. You can't see them. We don't study them. Uh, you know, but they are so ultra important. Mm -hmm. This, this, I had a lot of fun writing this book uh, because <laughs> a lot of this, a lot of this stuff is is just being researched right now. Uh, That's what I, I was going to ask. Like, why, why do we not? Why are we all of a sudden hearing about this now? Well, well, let me, let me, you, let me but... just go. Well, you have, I, and that's why I'm writing the book, frankly. Yeah. Because uh, I said to James, you know, I asked him the same question. This is crazy. I thought root hairs were there in order to take up nutrients. He goes, <laughs> we all learned that in third grade. So tell me why nobody knows this stuff. And he goes, yeah. nobody's listening. Um, well, you know what? Nobody was listening when the soil food web was mentioned in Teaming with Microbes in 2006. That book is now in 14 languages, mm -hmm. uh, German, French, Turkish, uh, Hungarian, I mean, Romanian, Spanish, Portuguese. Why? Because it's important stuff, not because it's a great book. And I am convinced this rhizophagy stuff is unbelievably important and people need to know about it. So I wrote the book. Yeah. Because believe me, A, it's not fun to write a book. 
And B, you don't make money writing a book. <laughs> you learned a lot, though. <laughs> oh, my God. I, but it is fun to write books. In yeah. A way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. I learned so much. So let me go one step further. And I know we gotta, we're going to have to end this. Yeah, but, because I have uh, so many more questions for you. And we're almost at yeah. the end. So I do have to get my selfish questions in. And then I'll okay, have you well, back and, and, at and some other just, point. Just mention, <laughs> let me just mention one yeah. other thing. And that is that those trichomes that are on your tomato, mm -hmm. you know, tomatoes are covered with these little hairs. Uh, that's why tomatoes smell the way they do the plants. Uh, and the trichomes that are in your in your uh, cannabis plants, mm -hmm. mm, guess what's inside them? Bacteria. They do they do the same thing in these trichomes. Nitrogen is being produced so that we think so that flowers, ultimately the potato, the tomato, or ultimately the seeds, turn out right. Those trichomes are crucial. We thought they were just protecting the plants from UV. So anyway, all of this stuff is, is, is sort of just being researched. I didn't even know that when I turned the book into the publisher. I hope I'm going to be able to add it. I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to, but this is coming. It'll be out in, it'll be out in the springtime. But uh, in the meantime, the teaming, T-E-A-M-I-N-G with microbes, fungi, and nutrients. And read that series so that you're ready for this next one that comes in. Okay, and I'm so, going to <laughs> <laughs> so the the book is going to be published in the spring, right? Yeah, spring or so, spring early summer. Yeah. So spring I will de early. I'll I'll definitely have you back because let me ask a few just more selfish sure. questions that Please. that I had, and then I'm going to have you back in the spring because I think a sure. fall spring thing it would be really great. So. Uh, and only because I know your parents. Yeah. Know you. yeah. <laughs> That's gotten me pretty far in a lot of situations. I mean, I, so you know, I, uh, I rely on that. Miller's name. I perked yeah. up. Yep. <laughs> now, did you did you grow up in Windermere? Uh, no, I grew up on university in University Park. Oh, okay. We okay. lived on third like before thirty six was built. We lived on McGinnis and Crescent. Okay. Yeah. Sure. I know where yeah. it is. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. But they're in Seattle now. They've been gone for a long time. But, you know, my yeah. brother and I were Alaskans to the core. Yep. <laughs> so what are your questions? So um, this is maybe more. Yeah, I guess this is a question. Um, so I have two plants in pots that are not native to Alaska. So they're staying in pots, but that I really like. So one is I bought from the mile 5.2 greenhouse in the mm -hmm. spring was a lemon tree, a Myers lemon yeah. tree. Right. And the young kid was great. He's like, you got to keep it inside. And, you know, it needs 12 hours a day of light on a light. And so I bought lights and all that. I got it all set up, except my cat chewed it down a little bit. But yeah. he said, put it outside and it's going to go crazy in the summer. And I, ha I just want to report it has gone crazy. Sure. I mean, it is really fun. And I have like, I have like lemons that are green yeah. about that size. I don't know if they're yeah. going to become real lemons or not, but it's yeah, very exciting. Yeah. You think yeah, you think are. I got them? <laughs> yeah, you do, and it may need repotting, so keep an eye on it. You That's know. what he said. Bring it in like the middle of September to get repotted. Yeah, so. bring it in now. Don't wait. Okay. Yeah, I guess we're yeah. almost there anyway. So. Yeah, we're there. Bring it in now because we, you never know when a pot's going to come, yeah. and those things become attractive. You know, you never know what's going to come and get it. A moose. Oh, yeah, I, do have it, I do have it fenced in. So that's, okay. I don't think, right. uh, moose haven't been in my backyard in a long time. So, yeah. uh, well, but you know, I, but you may, you may find out that some uh, martini or something jumps in there to get yeah. the lemon. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> 
Um, and then the other, and this is the question for both of them, because you also mentioned in your column that you should also kind of do a reverse. Um, right. Hardening off. Hardening yeah. off. Yeah. And yeah. like bring them into your garage for a week right. or something like right. that. Right. Right. Yeah. Let me explain that. Let me explain that a little bit. The, the reason you want to do that is probably twofold, maybe threefold. The first, of course, is, is the bugs and the slugs and the snails. You want to get those off. It takes a week or so. You got to keep a look at them. You know, you got to set a beer trap and, you know. Do all the all the things you would normally do to, to get rid of bugs and keep an eye. Maybe spray it with neem oil or something of that sort. That's good because uh, you want to do that in the garage. You don't want to do it in the house and all that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, the, the other thing, of course, is that when you bring a, a, a plant from outside where it's forty-five degrees at night inside, it, it changes the vapor pressure around the leaves. Uh, they can wilt. They can fall off. Uh, they can turn colors. Uh, the plant just doesn't appreciate it. So you want to just sort of gradually bring it in. You bring it into a garage where it's protected from the wind. Uh, you know, it'd be nice to have some light if you possibly could, but, but, but you know, you put it up against the window if you have to, but if you got out of, and everybody who reads my column, of course, has artificial lights. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't believe you just bought yours. Well, um, I haven't had indoor plants for a long time because I had a- But see, now a, you will. Yeah, but now I will, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and, so, my, and my reason actually wasn't because I didn't like it. I, I got to defend myself here is yeah. because I had a kid who was allergic to the mold that can grow in indoor oh, okay. plants. So Okay, there you go. Yeah. And she still lives that, here, but I think she's outgrown it. So I'm going to do call it now. That mold, we call that mold fungi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what it's, it is. Yeah. Incidentally, I forgot to tell you what I was doing with my lawn. Let me go back to your, uh, I letting my lawn turn to moss, my front lawn. You, when, we, when I told people to cut it short, that's what I was about to say. I told people to cut it short. What I discovered when I cut mine as short as I could was I got this beautiful mold layer of moss down there. And maybe that grass won't grow back so fast. And maybe it never will. And happy day. Because mm-hmm. moss is the ultimate, spectacular, gorgeous front yard. It Ooh. really is. I agree. I yeah. love moss. Yeah. 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 And, and you go to Japanese gardens, it's the moss that makes them. Uh, and so, so maybe that should be Alaska because our lawns naturally go to moss. Yeah. The acid in our, in our, in our volcanics, in our soil, uh, it, 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 we have acetic soil, simple as that. And so pH is lower than seven and it turns, it's a moss magnet, mm-hmm. period. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, oh, so and so, your, so my other, my other plant that I'm bringing back that I want to try to survive over the winter is lavender that I have oh, yeah. planted in a pot. Yeah, I'm not sure that it'll bloom, but it should survive. It hasn't. Now, do you bloomed. know whether it's French la- lavender or? I don't know. I bought it at mile 5.2 at the same time I bought the lemon tree. And has it bloomed? No, it did not bloom this year, but you know, I put my hand in it. It's very short and I put my hand sure. in it and you get that good lavender smell off, okay, off so of it. Here's what I would do. And this is a perfect example for my readers, okay? First thing I would do is I would call mile 5.5 or 5.2. 5.2, yeah. And I would say, did you, what kind of, were you selling French lavender or English lavender? Okay. And then based upon what they tell you, Google it. Okay, <laughs> Google, you know, everyone's I, you know, friend. <laughs> I, I, get, I probably get 30, 40 questions a week. And always I wanna write back I want to be nice about it, but I want to write back and say, what do you think I am going to do? I That's am the first going place to you go, Google right? your question. You could have done that. 
I, you know, it's just one of those things. But you know, I mean, when when someone takes the time to write to write, they're concerned. You know, you gotta you gotta be. You know, I mean, I, I'm and I'm concerned too. I become concerned too. That's that's the problem. Mm-hmm. God, sometimes I, I I open up my junk mail and there's a question in there from six months ago. Oh God, I feel terrible. Yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> well, yeah. like I told you, your email went to my junk box. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I was like, yeah, why well, hasn't he answered me yet? <laughs> and, I, and I am certain that my garden column ends up at the bottom of a lot of bird cages too. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jeff, I have so many more questions for you, but uh, and I, I will stop with this one. And like I said, I'll have you back in the spring. But um, uh, hopefully, this doesn't take too long. But what is Anchorage going to look like? What are your Anchorage yards going to look like in ten years? Anchorage yards in 10 years are going to have spruce trees, birch trees, uh, unfortunately, cottonwoods, um, alders, uh, much fewer lawns, uh, lots more fireweed. We're going to have white fireweed, uh, maybe even some slightly different color fireweeds. We're going to grow a lot more blue poppies, Nekonopsis. We are going to uh, have Kinnick Kinnick areas in our yard and uh we're still going to have some lots and they're all going to be cut on the diagonal or in circles <laughs> uh, well i'll definitely check back in 10 years and see if that holds up <laughs> all, right. all right and i'm hope i hope i'm here uh, so. i hope so too i hope we can have more fun conversations uh it has been just fantastic talking with you jeff i really really enjoyed you thanks Pleasure. for taking the time to uh sure. tell us about yardening and i'll have you back in the spring uh if you get a good response you never <laughs> oh, know i'm sure i will <laughs> all right well folks if you like the show you you let the host know that's it for today's show thanks to my guest jeff lowenfels you can find links to jeff's website including where to find his books and the new york times magazine article about jeff on the outdoor explorer page at alaskapublic.org the show is produced by eric bork my name is lisa keller and from all of our hosts here at outdoor explorer thanks for listening and we'll see you outside Outdoor Explorer is a production of KSKA Public Radio in Anchorage, Alaska. Theme music is by Portugal, the man. Views expressed are those of the participants and do not reflect the station or its underwriters. You can find Outdoor Explorer on Facebook and in your favorite podcast app. To see what's coming up on Outdoor Explorer and add your voice to the conversation, go to our website at alaskapublic.org. Life Informed, this is Alaska Public Media.